helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. My name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host. And today, we're listening in on a sermon by Doug Holliday. Doug Holliday is the executive director of Sun Life Ministries, and he has had a wealth of experience in disciple make, leading disciple-making ministries in the local church and around the country. Doug was formerly uh, the East Africa regional coach for J-Life. He also founded Doug Holiday Ministries in Open Door Haiti, where he launched a school to train youth pastors there. And Doug travels all around the world sharing how to make disciples and make disciples in the context of the local church. Now, in this sermon, Doug is going to share some of his experience of how he became a disciple maker and three key words that can transition your ministry to become a disciple making ministry. This is a powerful sermon. You're really going to enjoy it. So listen in on Doug Holiday. What a joy and a privilege to be with you here at First Colleyville and to have been here for the Flashpoint uh, Conference, to be here with people uh, from your church, from across the state, really from around the country, who are passionate about disciple-making. But more than the conference, to be here with you, to be at a church that just doesn't talk a good game about disciple-making, but a church that believes it, that owns it, that lives it, that walks it, that models it for other churches, that this is a place full of disciple-makers, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Um, so, uh, so privileged to have my wife Jennifer here with me. We live in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we have six daughters. I'm not bragging. Pray for us. So our girls range in age from 19 to 12. Uh, The youngest three, we've adopted one from Kenya 10 years ago and uh, two other uh, daughters from Haiti. And, uh, you know, life has been an adventure. Jennifer and I have been married almost 24 years now, and we would have never dreamed 24 years ago when we said, I do, The adventure that God would have in store for us, what our family would look like, what our lives would look like, what ministry would look like, we had no idea, but what an adventure. And I believe that God has an adventure for every one of us. And I even look at my life growing up and, you know, my uh, my parents, they loved to give us adventures. I remember with, with my dad, him taking my brother and I on fishing trips. You know, and first going to a lake and fishing, and then, and then graduating from that, and going deep sea fishing, and going on these excursions down into Mexico. I remember this one particular trip, going to Mazatlan, Mexico, and we're going to do two days of fishing. And uh, the first day of that trip, 
getting on the boat and, and beginning to go out to sea. And as we started to go out to sea, the skies turned dark. Thunder started to rumble, the, the sea began to get rough, the waves started to crash against the boat, strong winds. Now me being a 10-year-old kid, I, I wanted to experience this all, I wanted to see it, so I climbed up onto the very top deck of the boat, up there where the, the captain was standing and steering the boat, and up there on the top there was a lawn chair up there that I sat on as we are going out to sea. And as the waves started to crash against the boat and the wind began to toss the boat back and forth and back and forth, that lawn chair that I was sitting in began to slide on the deck back and forth, back and forth, and each time it would go back and forth, I'd turn another shade of green until I, I, I got so sick, I had to leave that deck. I climbed down, down the, uh, the ladder, and then I went down the steps into the bottom of the boat where there were two beds coming to a point up at the head of the boat, and as I was going down in there toward the bed, I threw up all over the floor, dove on the bed, laying there feeling so sick. And then about 10 minutes later, my brother comes down those same stairs and he has the same green look on his face. And he throws up on the floor as well, his mess joining mine. He dives onto the other bed. We're both laying there groaning, feeling so sick. And about 10 minutes later, my dad's friend, who was also on the trip, came down the steps with the same look on his face. There's no bed left. Our, our throw-ups all over the floor. He just immediately turns around, throws up all over the stairs. It is, talk about adventure. Now, the second day of this trip, it got a lot better. As, as we went out, now the skies were clear, the seas were calm, and as we got out, we were fishing for marlin, for sailfish. And I remember as my dad was fishing, you know, and casting the line, and, and for sailfish, you've got to have these enormous poles, and, and, and the line on that, super strong, and in fact, you've got to wear this belt with a notch in the front that, that your, your pole latches into. And not only that, but, but they have a chair bolted to the deck with a seatbelt on it. And when you get one of these sailfish on the line, they put you in the chair and they buckle you in so the fish doesn't pull you overboard. My dad gets one on the line. And for over two hours, hours. He is fighting that sailfish, getting it close, and it takes off, takes out again. Over two hours. Talk about adventure. My brother and I watching all this unfold. Just amazing to pull in. Let's see this picture. It's my dad there in the middle holding his nine-foot, 180-pound marlin. Adventure, right? That's, that's uh, me next to him holding uh, my, not, not nearly as big as his, but it was a, a four-foot mahi-mahi dolphin fish that I caught, my own adventure. 
My, my, my dad, he loved to give us as his kids adventures. My parents loved to give us adventure. I can remember as children, them taking our station wagon and loading the back of it with, with bags of clothes and toys and groceries. Growing up in Southern California, driving across the border into Tijuana, Mexico, pulling off on the side of a dirt road, us getting out, opening the back of that station wagon. And all of a sudden, the moms and the children, they would come running from everywhere, all these little shacks surrounding us and us as kids passing out these clothes and toys and and food to these Uh, these desperate, impoverished people. And as young children, learning the value of showing Christ's love to the lost and to the least. I remember as as a boy, there were many times, uh, my mom, she would, um, as I was going to bed, she would put on a record in my room playing these different Christian stories. And this one particular story I remember was of a missionary named John Payton, missionary to the, the, the Hebrides and um, to cannibals. You know, people eaters. I remember my mom, you know, letting me listen to the story again and again. I remember as a kid her telling me that I was going to be her little John Payton. I would have never imagined then as a kid the adventure, the story that would unfold and how God would, would take us to in ministry over 30 different countries in the last 15 years. Now, my wife, she tells me I can't go to any more countries because everywhere I go, I want to bring another child home with me, right? But the adventure, but I think that that's what God has for us. John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, an abundant, an adventurous life that he has laid out before us when we choose to follow him. And I think if we looked at that adventure that God invites us into, we could kind of look at it with three distinct chapters. And I'll title them this, Be, Build, Begin. Be, build, begin. We see this adventure and this story unfold even with Jesus and his own disciples who he poured into and he invested in and the journey that he invited them on. Be, build, begin. You have your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. Verses 13 to 19. And you'll see the story there. This is about two years into Jesus' ministry, into him investing in his followers. And this is the point where he selects from among the many who are following him, 12. And I'm actually going to read for you. Uh, This is a blended version of Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 6, the two different accounts that we read of this story um, in a blended harmony of the Gospels. You can look there in Mark 3 and see it there. Or it says, Then Jesus climbed a mountain and spent all night praying to God. And at daybreak, he called together a select group of his disciples. He named 12 of them apostles and called them to stay with him, that he might send them out to preach, 
To them he gave power to heal every disease and sickness and to cast out demons. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. His brother Andrew. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, whom he also named Boandres, meaning the sons of thunder. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus. Judas, the son of James, who was also called Thaddeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus is inviting them on this adventure. You know, we have a Father in heaven who loves to invite us on an adventure with him. For me as a dad, I love to invite my girls on adventures with me. I've, I brought some of my daughters on, on mission adventures, like to the Philippines, where, you know, jumping on an airplane and going to the westernmost island in the Philippines, and you land at the airport there, and then you have to get in a little five-seater Cessna missionary airplane, fly over the mountains and the rainforest, and land on a grass airstrip that dead ends into a mountain. And we're sleeping there in bamboo huts on stilts on the ocean. And ministering to to children and me training young leaders with a tribal group of people that only 20,000 people in the world speak their language. My girls love it. Adventure. And that's what he is calling us to, this adventure in following Jesus. And it begins with this. Be. Be a disciple maker. Now we would be a disciple maker. That's what the invitation is for every one of us. And it's critical for us to understand this. Just a, a definition for, for disciple. Luke chapter 6 verse 40. Jesus says this. A student, same word for disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Think about that. If the disciple is going to be like the one who discipled them, and you discipled them, then in order for them to be like you, what does it mean? They have to in turn disciple Someone else can't be like you if they don't do that. So built right into the DNA of being a disciple is that disciples make disciples. A non-disciple-making disciple is an oxymoron. And so you, you begin the journey with this. Hey, be a disciple-maker. Where do we see this here in this account with Jesus And the 12, who he calls. It says he calls them that they might be with him. To be with. For them to to go along with him, to be in relationship with him, to see the way he walks, to see the way he talks, see the way he relates to people, and then to pattern their lives after the priorities and the practices of Jesus. They get up close to him, and he would be their model for how to live their life. 
That's what it means to be a disciple maker, to invite others to be with. And they're traveling with Jesus, and they're seeing him interact with people, and they're learning from him and patterning their lives after him. In fact, so much so that in the book of Acts, the first time the word Christian is, is used, it's in, in Antioch, and it says uh, the, the, the people there in Antioch, it was there that they first called the believers Christians. And so the surrounding area, it's like they're looking at all these followers of Jesus and they're saying, look at these little Christs. These people, they're they're just like that Jesus guy. Isn't that what we want? Inviting others to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus, that together we would become just like him. I remember in uh, my youth ministry in high school, um, I think I was a freshman in high school, and one of our youth leaders, a guy named Rich, approached me one day, and he said, hey, Doug, I would like to disciple you. I said, well, what does that look like? And Rich says, well, well here's the deal. We'll, we'll, we'll get together every week, and maybe we'll go to a fast food place or something. We'll have something to eat. We'll open our Bibles, and we'll study God's Word together. Sounds good. So I began to meet with Rich Every week, and he discipled me for over two years. I have all of these memories of that time that I spent with Rich. In fact, I remember that it was with Rich, it was the very first time that I ever went to a Wendy's. I'm like, what? How do you remember that? I, I even remember what we ordered. So we're going through drive through and Rich ordered first, and he ordered a triple with cheese. Do they even still sell triples? A triple with cheese, a double with cheese, large fries, large Coke, and a large Frosty. I've never been to Wendy's. I'm thinking, is this like a White Castle? I don't know. So I order a triple with cheese, and I'm not as big of a guy as Rich, so I kind of scale it back and a single with cheese. And large fries, large Coke, large Frosty. And when that triple came, I couldn't even get my mouth around. It was huge. I ran track and cross country in high school, and there were many times in the summer I'd have to go out on a training run and maybe 8, 10, 12 miles training alone. And Richie'd say, hey, Doug, you're going on this long run. How about if I come over to your house, I bring my bike, and I ride with you? And there were many times where Rich would get on his bike, and just as I'm running, he's riding next to me, talking to me, keeping me company through the entire run. So many things that I remember about those two years that I spent with Rich, but you want to know what I don't remember? I don't remember a single Bible study that we did together. Not a single lesson that he taught me from God's word in over two years, not a single one. In fact, there were many times where maybe we'd be at my house or at his house, Rich would be sitting on the couch, he'd have his Bible open, I'd be, you know, sitting on the floor leaning against the couch. Rich just loved to talk, 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 talk. He could just talk all night about God's word. He'd be into, so into what he was saying, he wouldn't even notice that I had fallen asleep. And I don't know how long I was asleep, because I was asleep. But then I'd wake up and I'd try and pretend I wasn't asleep and Rich hadn't even noticed and he just kept on talking. And you'd look at that and you'd say, well, well, this Rich guy, he wasn't very good at this discipling thing, was he? Wasn't very good at it. 
You know what? It was a couple months into uh, that discipling relationship with Rich that I began to notice his Bible. His Bible, literally, it looked like a rainbow had exploded inside of it. He had all these different highlighter pens, and each color stood for something different. And, and I asked him about it, and he began to describe to me how he studied God's Word and showed me what all the different highlighters stood for and all these notes in the margin and, and you know, showing me how he studied God's Word and page after page after page, just full of highlights and full of notes. And within a few months, as a 15-year-old teenage boy, this is what my Bible began to look like. Got my own highlighter pens, started to mark up my Bible, put notes in the margins. I learned to love God's Word, to study God's Word from seeing it modeled in Rich's life. You know, it was... Uh, uh, one day we were driving in his car to his parents' lake house. We were going to go fishing or sailing something that day. And as we were driving, uh, Rich turns to me and he says, Hey, Doug, let's pray. I'll dial and you can hang up. I'm like, huh? Well, you know, I'll start and you can finish. And don't worry, I won't close my eyes. Well, good, because you're driving. And up to that point in my life, the extent of my prayers out loud sounded something like this. Dear Jesus, Thank you for this food. Amen. But that day, driving in the car, Rich just began to talk out loud to God as if God was sitting right there in the car with us, having a conversation with God. And when he was finished, after the model of how he just prayed, I began to talk out loud as if God is sitting right there in the car with us, having my first real conversation with God. I learned how to talk to God in prayer. I'm having it modeled for me from Rich. There's another day Rich showed up at my house and he said, hey Doug, let's go to the mall and witness. I'm like, witness what? Well, you know, let's go and talk to people about Jesus. At the mall? I might know people at the mall. Well, that's the point. So I would get in the car, go to the mall, and, and you know, at the mall, you've got all the, the, the stores, and then down the, the middle of the mall, between the stores, you've got the benches where the men sit while they're waiting for the women to come out of the stores, right? Easy targets. And so uh, Rich and I, we just walk up to someone sitting on the bench. Rich would start the conversation. He'd turn the corner to spiritual things. He'd pull out a gospel track from his back pocket, begin explaining the gospel to them. We'd finish talking to one person as we left that bench to go to the next. He says, all right, Doug, it's your turn, huh? Yeah, go ahead. You start this one, and don't worry. I'll jump in, and I'll help you. I learned how to share my faith, how to talk to people about Jesus by seeing Rich do it and by him giving me the nudge to begin to do it myself. I learned how to study God's word, love God's word, know God's word. I, I learned how to pray. I learned how to share my faith. I'd ask you again, was Rich very good at this discipling thing? I'd say yes. But it wasn't about a curriculum. It wasn't about a class. It wasn't about a program. It was about rich. It was about his 
life and how he followed Jesus and him inviting me to follow Jesus as he was following Jesus. So that my walk with God began to look like Rich's walk with God. And that's what Jesus invited the disciples to do, that they would be with him. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, it's not about a curriculum. Curriculum doesn't make disciples. It's not about a class. A class doesn't make disciples. It's not about a program. Programs don't make disciples. You do. Disciples make disciples. And you can use a class, a program, a curriculum, whatever, but ultimately you are inviting someone to come alongside you. And like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now it's so fun all these years later. Uh, Rich, he had ended up uh, leaving where we were living in New Jersey and felt called to be a missionary. Came here to Dallas, went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Ended up um, moving with his family uh, over to um, Holland. And he's been there ever since relationally investing in Hindus and Muslims, bringing them to faith in Christ and journeying with them that they might become disciples who make disciples as well. Well, that was Doug Holliday in uh, the first part of his message on making disciples in the local church. I tell you what, if you'd like to know more about Doug Holliday, you can go to sunlife.com, which is his uh, ministry uh, website, or you can go simply to disciplefirst.com. Disciplefirst.com is your one-stop shop for disciple-making resources and training. You can also go to the flashpointconference.com where you can find out where a Flashpoint conference is near you. Flashpoint conferences are a place where you can hear people like Doug Holiday and others share how to be effective in making disciples in the local church. Go to the flashpointconference.com or disciplefirst.com. And until then, go make disciples.